God, in this moment, God, as we are worshiping you, as we are thinking about you and your goodness and your love and your and who you are, God, I pray, Lord, that these things that we're singing, these truths about who you are would sink deep within us. God, we recognize that that what we think about you matters and who you are matters, God. And so I pray, Lord, that wherever we're watching this, wherever we're listening to this, God, that the truth of who you are would not just be just some abstract thing, but God, it would really penetrate the core of our being, who we are. Though we would see and we would know and we would experience your goodness. We would see and experience and know your love for us. God, remind us again and again of who you truly are. So as we just have this moment, just invite you wherever you're at, just to maybe slow down and to pause, and just think back over this past week. Where has God shown his love and goodness in your life? God, you are gracious and compassionate, abounding in loyal love. And I pray, Lord, that that truth of who you are would transform us from the inside out. So as we come this morning, as we gather together, as we hear from the scriptures, God, may you speak to us. May your spirit be working in us. And God, would you continue to do the good work that you, you began in us. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. If we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet, my name's Aaron, and I have the joy of being a part of the team here at Wellspring. Just super grateful for the opportunity to be part of what God is doing here at Wellspring. It's just such a joy to be with you, even though it's online this morning. So if uh, we haven't gotten the chance to meet, like I said, my name is Aaron. Would love the chance to connect with you at some point. Uh, but for this morning, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching this or listening to this, I want to invite you right now to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. You know, one of my favorite things that I get to do is every once in a while I get the chance to open up the scriptures, talk about Jesus, and trust that God is going to speak to us and through us this morning. And I, I hope that he does the same wherever you're at watching this. So for the past few months, we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's ancient letter to this church in Corinth 2,000 plus years ago, and we're right in the middle of chapter 12 this morning. But as you're turning to chapter 12, I want to kind of set up our time together with a little bit of kind of what actually happened yesterday, kind of what was going through my brain as I was thinking about this text. Yesterday, kind of a miracle happened. Our family of five, we got out the door by 8.30 in the morning. We made it, had breakfast with our newborn, with our little one, and Stana had a fun little kindergarten activity to do up at the middle school. It was a ton of fun, and we made it out the door by 8.30 breakfast. Everyone was, you know, dressed, so that was an achievement. Adia slept well the night before, not so much this past night, go figure. But anyway, I'm here this morning. But yesterday morning, Shanna had a fun time with her kindergarten friends. And then, you know what? We did not just do one fun thing. We did two fun things before noon. We made it to the beach and had a great family time uh, by noon. It was awesome. 
which really set us up for just a nice, relaxed afternoon because the kids had, you know, had all their energy kind of burnt out of them, if you will. They had their quiet time in the afternoon. Adia, our newborn baby girl, was asleep. And that just set me up for just a wonderful afternoon to read a few books that I've been wanting to finish up and wrap up. And as I was reading one of these books out on my front porch yesterday afternoon, I came across this one section where this author was talking about kind of some of the trends that are happening in our culture and especially with kind of young millennials. And she cited this stat that really just kind of blew me away a little bit. And the stat was this, that 74% of American millennials think that whatever is right for you or feels good to you is true for you. 74%. I mean, I, mean I, I can kind of see where that's coming from, and maybe that is a shocker to you. That was a little bit of a shocker to me, but 74% of American millennials thinking, you know what, whatever is right to you or feels good for you, that was automatically what is true for you. And kind of thinking about that got me thinking kind of what some of the things I've been thinking about and looking at over the past week or so. And I came across this past week a Pew Research study that also talked about how 75% of Americans are not friends with someone who will vote for the opposing candidate in this year's election. That's, that's a staggering high number, 75%. This was in the Washington Post just this past week, a Pew Research study that came out. And I was thinking about this, that here we have this trend in our culture where we're becoming more and more individualistic, more and more about my own freedom, my own happiness, my own truth, and at the exact same time we're becoming more kind of clustered around people that only look like us, think like us, vote like us, have the same beliefs like us. And what this, I think, is leading to is what some people call kind of this idea of tribalism, where it's kind of this pseudo-community where we're gathering around, because as human beings, we're made for relationship, we're made for connection, and so we're building these connections, but it's all around people that have the same beliefs, ideas, habits as we do, because we're so into our own individualism and our own kind of mindset. But what begins to happen as we become a more tribal culture, a, more, a culture that's more kind of built around people that look like us, think like us, etc., etc., what begins to happen, I think, is that we begin to have contempt or kind of disdain for people that don't line up to our sort of standards. You know, one writer defines contempt as hate mixed with disgust. Kind of looking down at other people or other groups like, I can't believe you think like that. I can't believe you believe that. I can't believe you act like that. It reminds me of the story in in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 18. Jesus tells this parable of a Pharisee, which was a religious leader in Jesus' day. And this Pharisee goes to the temple to pray. And he, with all his pride and his arrogance, comes before God in prayer and says, Thank you, God, I'm not like this tax collector over here. Thank you, God, I'm not like these prostitutes and adulterers and these sinners over here. And we might kind of read that story and go, oh, that's not me. I'm not that prideful. But I think if we're honest, there's times in our own lives where we might say or pray something similar. Thank you, God, I'm not like those crazy people that are ruining our country. Thank you, God, I'm not like those crazy liberals or crazy conservatives that are kind of messing things up. Thank you, God, that I have the right beliefs about X, Y, and Z. And what that is is contempt, and it's borderline idolatry where we're evaluating or bringing up our own ideas over and above Jesus and his kingdom. So not only are we tribal, not only are we full of contempt, but ironically, we're becoming even more isolated and lonely at the same time. Because we're hungering for deep, meaningful connection, and it's not actually happening. My wife and I just recently, we watched the documentary The Social Dilemma, 
and it kind of chronicles just how through social media and technology, how it's just taking over a generation and bringing, especially my generation and younger, into just rampant modes of loneliness and isolation. And it's severing human, human connection and severing human relationship and severing the connections that we need. So we're tribal, we're full of contempt, and we're isolated and lonely. And I know this is super encouraging. Welcome to church this morning. But as we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and think about what do the scriptures have to say into a moment like this, I just can't help but think and, and believe, not just think, but believe that what Paul has to say in this text about the body of Christ a body that is unified despite differences. A body that honors one another instead of, full of being full of contempt. And a body that invites everyone to participate instead of leaving people in isolation. It seems to me 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a profoundly important text for a moment like ours. So with that said, why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting actually in verse 12. And I'm going to read a couple verses here. The first thing that I want us to look at is how the unity that Paul is seeking to demonstrate in the body of Christ is something that I think is greater than and transcends the tribalism of our culture. So unity over tribalism, this is the first part here starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized. Into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, as we read just those few verses there, did you notice a key word that kept repeating over and over again? Right? The word one. At least four or five times just in those first few verses. And Paul's going to keep saying that word one over as he continues on in this passage. It's kind of like, you know, as a side note, quick Bible study tip. Look for repeated words as you're reading the scriptures. It's often a way that the authors want to communicate the main idea of what they're trying to show or demonstrate. But for here in our text right here, Paul is saying the body, we, are, we come into one body, under one Lord, one spirit, one baptism. Despite what Paul says, Jews or Greeks, one of the major ethnic divisions of Paul's day. Despite slave or free, one of the major socioeconomic divisions of Paul's day. That we are a part of this one body. Now, real quickly, skip down with me to verse 24. We're not going to skip the whole passage, but I want to point out something because it relates to this idea of unity. Paul says in verse 24, But God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be what? No division in the body. No division in the body. See, as Paul is teaching and explaining this theology of what the body of Christ is, the practical outworking is that there is no division despite Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, despite all the controversy that's happening within the context of chapter 12 around the gifts of the Spirit. And in, in particular, the gift, the spiritual gift of tongues, as we talked about last week. Now, as Paul says that he hopes and he's kind of moving towards this goal of no division within the body, within context... The church in Corinth is full of division. Full of division. Think of back with me. It's been, you know, pretty much this whole calendar we've been going through 1 Corinthians. But all the way back in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians, about chapters 1 through chapter 4, there's all this division around kind of basically celebrity Christianity. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Peter. And then you get into chapters 5 through 7, there's all this division and controversy around sexuality. 
And then when you get into chapters 8 through 10, there's all this division around food sacrifice to idols, kind of a cultural issue of the day. And then when we're in chapter 11, there's all this division around socioeconomic things, around communion and the Lord's table. So right here within 1 Corinthians, you have division around personalities and celebrity pastors, if you will, division around sexuality, division around cultural issues, division around socioeconomic status, and division around theological issues. I'm so glad we've just moved past that now, you know, 2,000 years later, right? And aren't these all essentially some of the top five things that we're facing in our modern context? And again, it just shows and it just demonstrates how God's word speaks into any culture, into any place. And as God's spirit speaks to us, may we just hear the words of God to us today. Now, as we're talking about this idea of unity, despite all these differences, a couple things that Paul shows that unity is not. Unity does not mean that we just all look alike, talk the same, believe the same things, have the same jobs, have the same family backgrounds. Paul demonstrated that when he talked about Jews and Greeks, but also as the text goes on, unity actually implies there is going to be diversity. See, unity and diversity are not opposed to each other. They actually go together. Look at the text, verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because, you know what, I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? See, there Paul's getting at this idea, we're not all just going to look the same and be the same. We can't all be an eye. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose or as he willed, some translations say. Verse 19, if, a single, if all were a single member, where would, the body eat? where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, and again, here's that key word again, yet one body. Notice what Paul says, many parts, one body. There's the diversity within the unity, and they go together. But also another component of this unity, there's also dependence. So not only do we have diversity within the body of Christ, we also have dependence. What do I mean by that? Well, notice what Paul is saying. Paul, Paul uses the example in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, you know what, hand, I don't need you. Nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And what Paul's getting at here is that there is this mutual need, this mutual dependence that happens within the body of Christ. Now, when I say mutual dependence or mutual need, when Paul is talking about this, he's not just talking about how, you know, the wealthy and the powerful and the rich are to kind of serve the people perhaps at the bottom. But it's this mutuality across all these differences is where this is taking place. Paul, this is a great theme throughout Paul's letters. In, in the early chapter in, in Romans 1, Paul talks about the mutual encouragement that he's looking to have with the church in Rome. Or in Philemon, he's talking about the mutual fellowship that he wants to have with Philemon. And when Paul is talking here within the body of Christ, this mutual dependence in need is both everyone and everyone saying, you know what, we need each other. We can't function together if we just say, you know what, I don't need you. If the wealthy and the powerful look at the, the weak and the lowly and say, you know what, I've got it all figured out. I don't need you. That's antithetical to what Paul is saying the body of Christ is supposed to be. 
And so this challenges, I think, especially us in our Western context, where we are, for, for the most part, wealthy and comfortable. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But to come across with this attitude of what, you know what? I don't need those kinds of people. I don't need those Christians. I don't need their testimony, their service, their prayers. All that reeks is that pharisaical pride from Luke 18 that I mentioned a moment ago. And what Paul is encouraging us to see is that this dependence is mutual. Now that's this idea of unity, unity over tribalism. But Paul is going to go on, and I want to talk about now this idea of honor over contempt. In a cultural moment that's full of contempt, that disdain, that looking down at one another, Paul's answer is that the body of Christ be a community of honor. Let's look at verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that, look, now listen carefully, this, the language here is important. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. In our unpresentable parts, we are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Now notice early on in those verses, verses 22 and 23, Paul uses this language of the parts of the body that, quote, seem to be less honorable, and then those parts of the body, again, verse 22 or verse 23, that seem to be or we think less honorable, Paul actually reverses that way of thinking. Do you see that there in the text? What's happening, Paul is challenging the cultural assumptions that what we often think of that's a less honorable thing or a less honorable idea or a less honorable person within the body of Christ or a less important person or a gift or whatever in the body of Christ, Paul says, no, we need to reverse that way of thinking. We need to reverse that logic. And Paul is directly challenging the cultural assumptions that the Corinthians have, which is also interesting, is that as we even think about the body of Christ, there's actually some evidence that this metaphor of, of, of the body isn't necessarily original to Paul. There's evidence that shows that this idea of a body with a head and the parts was a way of actually keeping people in their social status, keeping people kind of where they belong, almost like a modern-day caste system, and saying, you know what, you're a foot, you belong there at the bottom. You're a hand, you belong off to the side, and only the important parts, like the shoulders and the head and the eyes, the most visible parts, those are the most valuable and the most important. But Paul, as we think about what we've read and what he's saying right here, right now, is that those val that value system that Corinth has, Paul is directly challenging and directly confronting. And let's think about this even in our day. What cultural values, what cultural ideas about what people are considered, quote, less honorable or di either dispensable or not as important, what kind of narratives do we often believe or think? You know, again, we talked about earlier, celebrity Christianity of like, oh, it's only the people that are on stage that have like the biggest ministries or that have the most Instagram followers. Those are the most important. And the quiet, humble service of the people that often are never going to, you know, be on stage or whatever the case might be. And I'm saying this to myself, right? I'm, like the irony, I get the irony of me being on a stage right now. And to recognize, I think of the story of David. When, when the prophet Samuel is looking to install a king and through what well, God is looking to install a king through the prophet Samuel, and Samuel looks at all of David's older brothers. They're tall, they're strong, they're powerful. But then there's David, the little shepherd boy out in the back. And there's that famous line, many of you know it, right? 
The Lord does not see as man sees, but the Lord looks at the heart. There's a different value system within the kingdom of God. I think as we think about a culture of honor, what do we honor? What do we value? What do we recognize? Who do we recognize? Who do we kind of lift up to the top? Is it just going with the Western individualism and the narrative of like the most successful, the most Instagram followers, the most prideful? Are those the people that we elevate? Are those the people that we kind of lift up? Or are we recognizing, are we seeing the way that God sees? The humble, the quiet, the gentle, the patient, the people that often are placed at the margins within the body of Christ and bringing them to the center, elevating them to the top, if you will. That's why Paul goes on in verse 24, but God has so composed the body, here's that language again, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And this idea of honor is simply, I think, kind of the the simplest way that it's been explained to me is when we talk about honor, we're talking essentially about, you know, we see you or you're recognized. Not in like kind of the self-helpy, like take a bunch of selfie kind of sense, but like in the like, there's intentionality. Like, you're not just, you know, someone on, you know, a roster or just another person that comes within the crowd. But we see you. We honor you. We look you in the eye and we talk to you. We value you. And there's, it's, it's, there's almost like this lost art in our culture of honor, of recognizing people. We often want to either push the elderly off to the side and kind of, limit their, you know, exposure. Or we want to push certain people with certain gifts off to the side. They're not as important. Where might those kind of assumptions in your own life be that God might want to just gently challenge a bit this morning? Where might he be inviting us to show more honor with the people that we come in contact with? Recognition, the the slowing down, the taking of the time to recognize the people that God has placed in our lives within the body of Christ. And so again, Paul is saying, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Again, verse 25, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Again, this is verse 25. Notice, again, Paul talked about no divisions within the body of Christ. We talked about that. But then also, look what Paul is saying. Instead of this culture of contempt, he wants this culture of honor. And this culture of honor translates into verse 25 that all the members are receiving the same care. Again, this is that similar idea to that mutual dependence where Paul is kind of giving some flesh to that, saying, you know what? There's this care that happens across the body of Christ, across all the different parts. You know, I think about this, just about what does it mean to be the body of Christ? Paul talks here in verse 25 that there is this care that happens throughout the body, that people's needs are being met, that people are praying with one another, that people are so tied in relationship to one another that all of these cares and concerns are being brought together. You know, for me, I'm actually so inspired by the older generation. I think of someone like Paul Davis, who before COVID, we got the chance to meet pretty much weekly, and he was just been telling me all these stories about Wellspring or before it was Wellspring and how he has had so many deep relationships and friendships through the body of Christ And how that care has been experienced over decades of long faithfulness. And that's, it's inspiring to me because I think about my own generation where we're kind of just so quick to like move on to the next quick fad, move on to the next thing. But the long faithfulness of mutual care within the same local congregation over a long period of time, that, that that is a testimony 
of God's faithfulness through someone like that. And I think about even our own well community that we've I've just experienced the care of the body of Christ through our well community and through, through so many others. But in particular, just seeing the mutual care that has happened with, as we've had a baby, as we've had needs with child care and different things that have come up. That there is this care, this intimacy that happens across the body of Christ. Now I was talking with our well community a couple weeks ago just about this idea of like right now we're in the midst of, you know, this crazy year of 2020, right? And it's so easy to kind of get myopic and focused just on how crazy this one little year is. And maybe it might be a year and a half or two years, we don't know. But to, to challenge and to begin to think, you know what? Thinking about someone like Paul Davis and the older generation here at Wellspring that has embodied faithful care across a plenty of decades, what does it look like for us, my generation, to think, you know what? We're so focused on 2020, but what would it look like and what kind of people, what kind of community do we want to be in, say, 2050? Having a vision for 2050 of mutual care that has endured all these decades together. Committed to one another. Intentional with one another. Being the body of Christ that cares for one another throughout the decades, throughout the years together. And that's why Paul goes on in verse 26. He says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now this is, out of all the verses in this passage, I think probably the, one of the more famous verses in this chapter here, right? If one suffers, we all suffer. If one is honored, we all rejoice. But think about what Paul is saying here. That there is such deep connection within the body of Christ. Think about just the, the, the illustration of a body, right? Where if there's pain, say, in the hand, that in Paul's analogy, the part, like my foot down here, would begin to feel it at the same time. Because there's that deep of relationship. There's that deep of connection within the body of Christ. So if one member is suffering way over here, the implication, the assumption that Paul has is that the body is so close together, is so connected, that that pain and that hurt and that sorrow is felt. And that care, verse 25, begins to take place and happen. And when there's honor and rejoicing that happens over here on this part of the body of Christ, so to speak, then that rejoicing and that honoring and that celebration happens as well. And so again, the assumption, the implication is that the body of Christ is so connected, is so together in a deep web of deep relationships and deep intimacy and deep connection that what happens in one part of the body is experienced and cared for and felt by another part of the body. Now as we think about this, this is all under this umbrella, this idea of a culture of honor in the midst of contempt. In a, in a world that wants to devalue and dehumanize and degrade others that don't look like us, think like us, behave like us, Paul is calling the church, the body of Christ, to be a culture that honors and cares for one another. But that's not all. This last part here, this idea of participation within the body. Paul does not just leave the, the, the church and say, you know what, just be kind of like your own individuals, do your own thing, it's you and Jesus, have fun. No, Paul is inviting every person who calls upon the name of the Lord to participate within the body of Christ. Paul writes in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. 
Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Now, pay attention real quickly here. Verse 27, Paul says that we are all members. You are all members of the body of Christ. And that you there is plural. Okay, so you all are members of the body of Christ. Now this is important because what Paul is saying here, that idea of, or that word members, some of your translations might have the word part. We're all part of the body of Christ. And this is where we get this idea of participation. That we all have a part, we all participate within the body of Christ. That's why Paul then lists various different roles and gifts within the church. And I think what, what is so important for us to realize is that we live again in this moment where we're again so individualistic, which is leading to more isolation, which is leading to more loneliness, that the body of Christ is this profound counterwitness inviting anyone and everyone, not just the most educated, not just the most gifted, not just the most respected and the most popular, but everyone to participate. That everyone has something to offer within the body of Christ. You know, last week Tony did an amazing job working through kind of the gifts of the Spirit, kind of what it looks like to discern your gifts. And I want to just practically encourage you, if that's you this morning wondering, okay, what part do I have to play within the body of Christ? You know, I'm not going to repeat what Tony said last week. I want to encourage you, maybe listen to last week's message, and then I'm kind of just kind of going off, you know, you know, free flow here. But I would encourage you, reach out to Tony. One of the things that I've gotten to observe just kind of closely and kind of informally, but just kind of through what, what we do together, is that Tony is a mastermind at empowering people and helping people see where they are gifted and where they fit within the body of Christ. And kind of how God has wired them, how God has shaped them. And I want to encourage you, maybe reach out to him and set up a time to kind of work through that. See how God has empowered you, wired you, gifted you. And I think what that was going to take is maybe it's a little bit of courage. Maybe it's a little bit of, you know, I'm going to, you know, raise my hand and I want to kind of learn more and go in that direction. But I want to encourage you that you all have a part to play within the body of Christ. No, there is no, like, sideline Christians, so to speak. That God is calling all of us to be on the field and participate in different ways, with different giftings, in different roles that will change throughout, you know, seasons and whatnot. So there's flexibility there. But again, we are all members. We are all participants. I think, again, even just experience this here at Wellspring, one of the things that, you know, I get the privilege of seeing is just seeing kind of from a distance and up close all the ways that people are participating here at Wellspring. You know, out of all the, I've worked at three churches, out of all the churches, and I mean, this is not to belittle anyone else or anything, but there is just such a high level of participation across the board here at Wellspring. It is inspiring and it is encouraging. I know things are different here with COVID, but still, to see the level of care and participation across the board, it is so encouraging to see that. And to see how so many different people are doing so many different things, it's, it, it, it would take way too long to, to, to mention how Wellspring runs and functions without how many different people are doing so many different things. And all of us, again, are going to have different parts to play. I think of someone like Anne who has just this gift of prayer and this gift of faith. Just the other day I was talking with her and, you know, just recognizing that, you know what, she prays and she has this gift of faith. And that's someone when I have something I want prayer for, I'm going to go to her. And I did the other day. And it's just so comforting to know that there's someone that has that gifting, that, that way, that, that is wired by God in that way. I think of the people that host, our, our good friends that host our well community. 
the way that they are so hospitable and inviting, the way that they have week in and week out through this kind of difficult season, created this space once a week, this almost this holy day, if you will, this set-apart day. We come and we can be outside together, and it's really just this moment of fresh air, this moment of rest, this moment of, you know what, you know what, the world's not all going to fall apart, at least not right away. And so just that gift of hospitality, that gift of welcoming, that gift of embodying the grace and kindness of Jesus. And all this to say is that as we think about our everyday life, and as we think about just what it means to be the body of Christ in a world that is more tribal and more divisive, in a world that is full of contempt and hatred, in a world that is more isolating, I think what the scriptures are inviting us here in 1 Corinthians 12 is to recognize that we are a part of the body of Christ. Where there's unity amidst the diversity. A culture of honor in, a, in, the, in the middle of all the contempt and all the hate. In a culture that's inviting everyone to participate within it. And I think that's a profound witness into the world. Now, as I close, I just want to briefly address maybe some kind of roadblocks or maybe a little bit of pushback that one might have to this. You know, I think we read that line in verse 27 where Paul says, you are the body of Christ. And as Christians, we're like, yes and amen, good theology, great idea, but fill in the blank. But this, but that. And I think there's, there's some honest kind of pushbacks there. I think one of them might be a little bit of idealism that happens when we think about the body of Christ. You know, we, I know I have this like perfect idealism in my head of like, this is what the body of Christ is supposed to be. But often, the body of Christ, as demonstrated here in Corinth, right, is messy. There's problems. And I think if we can be honest about some of that idealism and honest about some of, you know what, it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always going to be exactly how we want it to be. And just to be honest about that, I think that can go a long way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, he who loves his dream of community or the body of Christ more than Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. What Bonhoeffer was saying back in the 1940s is that if you just have like this perfect idealism of what the body of Christ or community is supposed to be, and you hold on to that with all the passion and fervor in the world, you're going to be sorely disappointed. And I just kind of say that as, you know what, that might just be kind of a roadblock we might have to work through and get over. And maybe right now you're experiencing maybe some conflict or some tension or a less than ideal circumstance within the body of Christ. Maybe, just maybe, that might be the moment, the, the place, the space where God wants to do a profound work. Instead of rushing past that, instead of ignoring that and saying, you know what, that's not ideal. That's not exactly how it's supposed to be. Maybe there's a work within your own heart that God wants to do. Maybe there's a work within a relationship that God wants to do to bring healing, to bring forgiveness. What might that be for you? Another quick one is this idea of identity. When Paul says, verse 27, you are the body of Christ, Paul is declaring that that Christian, Christian community, that is your identity. You, plural, are the body of Christ. And in a world, in a cultural moment, where there's all these other identities that we can attach ourselves to, all these other group identities of like, I'm a part of this group. I follow this person. I'm a part of this social, cultural kind of group. Paul is saying, no, no, your primary allegiance your primary identity is that you are a part of the body of Christ. You are a Christ follower. That is your identity. Not who you're going to vote for, not how you view this cultural issue, not kind of what you believe about X, Y, and Z on the news. No, your primary identity is that of you are a part of the body of Christ. 
all those other identities, they might be very important. I'm into all that cultural stuff for sure. But that, if that becomes the primary way we identify ourselves, if that becomes the primary way we see ourselves and then view others who disagree with us, that is idolatry. And that goes against the teachings of Jesus and what he has for us. That Jesus offers a better way and says, no, no, you are, a, you are the body of Christ. Where there's unity amidst diversity, where there's honor instead of contempt, and all are invited to participate. I think the last quick thing I would say is that, yeah, there's idealism we have to confront. We have to recognize where our identity is and to be honest about that and to diagnose ourselves and say, who am I identifying with primarily and be honest about that. The last thing I'll briefly say is this idea of intentionality. I think it's so easy, especially in our kind of COVID moment, to kind of relax and wane and kind of go, you know what, sitting on the couch by myself isn't all that bad. You know what, I'm kind of enjoying this. And if I could just gently just push back against that and say that's not what God has for you, at least not all the time. I love to relax. I'm going to do that this afternoon. But, like, being intentional about the body of Christ means that you're intentionally showing up. You're intentionally reaching out. You're intentionally making an effort to keep connections even though when it is difficult, even though the circumstances might be less than ideal. Tim Keller on Twitter this week, he said this, we all want community until it gets in the way of our agenda. And I think that's, that's true. We all have these competing agendas, but the intentionality I think Christ is calling us to is to press on through those and to say, you know what? We are going to be the body of Christ. I think practically, you know, Tony's going to mention this when he does announcements, but just to show up and to be a part of, if you can, if it's something you're comfortable with, we're going to do outdoor services next week. And to intentionally be a part of that. And to, to be physically present with one another. Again, not everyone can participate in that. I get that. I'm not, please hear my heart in that. But I've just been thinking about kind of the, the way the New Testament in particular talks about how we are to relate to one another. All the one another commands. All the one another invitations. I mean, maybe just practically later today. Just, you can, pretty much, anyone can do this. Just go ahead and Google the one another's in the New Testament. And just read through those passages. And almost all of them are impossible to do unless you're physically with other people. And again, hear my heart in that, okay? But I think there is an invitation to be intentional about being with people. About practicing the way of Jesus together. And again, the circumstances might not be perfect or ideal, but God is inviting us to be the body of Christ. There is the reality that, yes, it is true. Verse 27, you are the body of Christ. But oftentimes, it's messy. Oftentimes, there's things that get in the way of that, that make it less than ideal. But there's an intentionality that I think God is inviting us to be a part of. And what's interesting is that as we identify with Jesus, it's only because Jesus has first identified with us that this is all true. You know, I want to invite the worship team to come up. And as we kind of close and think about this, it's important to remember that this whole language of being the body of Christ we are responding to what God has done in the person of Jesus. That Jesus has given his life, his body for you and for me. He has given himself for you and for me. And as a response, we identify with him. But we are the body of Christ. His love, his sacrifice, his generosity overflows to us and is for us. And we respond by saying, Jesus this is the reality that I want to live into. I want to live into, I want to submit to, I want to come under your authority because you are good 
you are trustworthy. You have given your life. You have given your body for you and for me that we might have life that is truly life, Jesus says in John 10. So with that, why don't we pray together. Father, we do thank you for the gift of the scriptures, the gift of your word. And I do pray, God, wherever we might find ourselves this morning, whatever circumstances, whatever whatever situations, God, that you have us in, may we just be open to your spirit, open to what you have for us. May God, would you help us to see with your eyes and to feel the way that you feel and to have the compassion that you have for those around us that as you declare that we are the body of Christ, help us to live into that reality. And for all the ways that we fall short, because God, this is something that we're gonna mess up in. It's, it's, it's not always perfect. All the ways that our own agendas, our own preferences get in the way. God, would you, would you forgive us? We confess that we are not always acting like and living like your body. And so God, we just humbly come before you confessing the ways that we fall short, the ways that we represent you in a broken way. But God, by your grace, would you bring refreshing and forgiveness and comfort to each one listening this morning. Remind us of your compassion. Remind us of your loyal love. Even when we are faithless, you are faithful. We love you. We pray these things in your name.